Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a at a point right now where up there I think clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history. Uh, and we got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. This league is insane. Yeah, it might be like one of those eight wonders of the world. <laughs> and you can see just what a great group of five conference it really is. It, it's a big deal. Boy, life is looking pretty good in the Sun Belt these days. Welcome back to Fun Belt Podcast. Dusty, I felt like we've done so many Fun Belt Podcasts. I don't even remember what, what episode this is. Is it 30? Is it 600? Have we reached the 1,000th episode? 29, baby. 29. Oh, 29. Okay. Well, that's close. 1,029. Either way, tonight we're going to have we're going to talk about football. We're going to talk about the Sun Belt. We're going to talk about the incoming uh, Sun Belt Championship matchup between the Cajuns and Appalachian State. We're going to review what happened last week. We're going to prognosticate what's happening next week. But I, Dusty, we've got a special guest here that we got to talk to first. I'm not a special guest. I'm always here. You're not the special guest, Dusty. He's in the green room. He's eating Ritz crackers. He's drinking all the champagne. He's Chris Fanini from The Athletic. He's come to sort of talk to us a little bit about conference wars and about college football playoffs. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thanks for showing up. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Been a uh, lot's going on since I think the last time we talked. Heck yeah. You know, when we first talked, Chris, all this sort of conference realignment discussion was almost theoretical. There was just a lot of, well, I, I think at the time the SEC had made their move and uh, uh, Oklahoma and, and Texas had bailed uh, on the Big 12, and we were just thinking, well, what's the ripple effect? What's going to happen next? What is uh, the uh, American going to do? And when the American makes their move, what are the rest of us going to do? How do you, now that we've seen how it's shake, shaken up and, and every, all the dust has settled, has it gone the way that you thought it was going to go? It, it mostly did, except for the American adding six teams. Um, I thought it might be two or four. I didn't see all of them getting in. I wasn't sure about FAU. I wasn't sure about Rice. Um, so that was probably in, it in the end. And because they did that, obviously Conference USA was in a tough spot where it had to add maybe more than it would have otherwise. Um, but other than that, not a total surprise. I'm not surprised the Mountain West schools did not leave. I'm not surprised James Madison has FBS. Um, you know, I'm not surprised, you know, Marshall made a move out and stuff like that. So not, a, not total surprises overall, other than maybe the American going so big. So you said you weren't surprised. I'm sorry, Justin, but you said you weren't surprised that the Mountain, uh, uh, the Mountain West rebuffed the American. When, when the Mountain West said, now nah, we're good, thanks. Do you think the American panicked a little and thought, okay, we're, we're just going to grab as many guys as we can? I don't know about panics but i think they thought i think they saw a chance to take all of texas away in the group of five essentially other than texas state um, because you know that was you know when the mountain west did not lose anybody there were people in that league who thought hey we should go look at north texas or utsa or something like that and people at a lot of those schools 
would have preferred the Mountain West to the American. Um, but the Mountain West was told by its media partners, hey, we're not giving you any more money for any of those schools. So they decided not to do that. Now, that's the same case where the American and the Stone don't know what they're doing, but the Mountain West didn't want to do it. Um, so then the American was like, okay, let's take all of Texas to make sure the Mountain West can't change its mind, go into Texas, anything like that. Um, they kind of wanted to corner that market in losing Houston. Um, so, you know, grabbing all of those Texas schools, I think, was probably a response in, in, in some ways. So, when we kind of came into this season, we talked about the Sun Belt probably being, if not the the number two G five league. With these additions, do you think that the Sun Belt kind of retains that title going into twenty twenty two? As as number two, yes. Oh, going into well, going into twenty twenty two, nothing really changes. Nobody's leaving anywhere, and you'll have Louisiana losing a lot of players, maybe their coach. You will have Coastal Carolina losing their coach. So there are questions at those schools of what's next, you know, what's next after Billy Napier, what's next after Jamie Chadwell. Um, so we'll have to see. And the Mountain West has been uh, pretty good this year. I mean, I mean, I might make the case the Mountain West has been the best league this year. The American outside of Cincinnati may be number three. You know, I think, I think it's the American and the Sun Belt really going for number two right now. So, um, yeah, so the Sun Belt is obviously long-term in a good spot. But I think 2022 will be a year, potentially a year of transition. You, you don't think that even though 23 is kind of the target year where everyone said, hey, we're going to make the moves then, that for scheduling and the clean breakup that everyone just kind of shifts for 22? You, you're asking if, if schools will move conferences in 2022? Right, to, to start the 22 season. I don't think so. I, I, I think it's all likely going to be 23. There, there's a lot to get get through exit fees and stuff like that are, are more expensive um and in part of this was texas and oklahoma not knowing when they were going to go we still don't I, I mean if something were to happen to texas and oklahoma were suddenly about to move then maybe it moves quicker but um 2023 is about when everybody's planning for right now across all the conferences chris Badini from uh, the athletic thanks for having uh for coming on the show today uh, I want to ask you what your broad 30,000 foot view of conference realignment wars was. Who's the big winner in this and who was the big loser? The big winner is the SEC. It added two of the biggest brands in football. It continues to position itself as the strongest conference politically on the field, everything like that. If we're heading down a, toward a Super League, which I think we are, they will have a major role in controlling it. Um, Losers, the Big 12, obviously, it, it's going to be making a lot less money now, even with the new teams it's adding. But it's not dead, and there was a chance it was going to die. So there is that. And kind of the same with Conference USA. Uh, I, I think Conference USA is a loser, but they survived. And then I think the American, for the time being, is, is, is a loser in all this. They lost their three biggest brands, and they're replacing them with a bunch of question marks. Um, the league is, you know, still okay but it's i don't it's not nearly going to be at the level it was so the mac not getting uh middle tennessee and western kentucky did they dodge a bullet or did they miss a big opportunity i don't think it i don't think it was going to make a big difference either way um, nobody in that league thought this was something we had to do 
nobody thought it was something we can't do. It was largely just, you know, do we need to get more numbers? We're, we're a 12 team league. Do we need to get bigger? You know, the Americans at 14, the Sunbelts at 14. Um, are, are there strength in numbers? Ultimately, when Middle Tennessee decided not to do it, there was really no choice. They were not going to take one. They were not going to take one. Western Kentucky really wanted to go. But Middle Tennessee didn't want to pay the exit fees, didn't want to pay the the, the entrance fees. Wasn't sure how it would fit among Midwestern schools, and, and so it decided not to. The, the MAC is weird because they, they've been among the most stable in that it's a lot of the same members. You can drive to a lot of the schools. It makes a lot of sense what they are. But they're also the most subsidized conference in terms of getting money to pay for programs through student fees and stuff like that. So um, money is an issue there and nobody in that conference wanted to receive less money than they would have otherwise if they expanded. So shifting gears down to the FCS, the SEC of the FCS ranks has always been the Southland conference. They sold the farm to hold on to their marquee program there of McNeese state. What are your thoughts on that? Because to me, it looks like they've set themselves up that if any member starts kind of debating leaving or going to another conference, there's not a whole lot the conference can really offer. Well, they've already lost so much. I I mean, they lost so many schools to the WAC anyway. It kind of feels like uh, the Big 12 deal where they don't have the same kind of revenue sharing and Texas and Oklahoma make much more money than anybody else. And that was a factor in Texas A&M leaving and stuff like that. But in the end, Texas and Oklahoma ran the league and they could do what they want because everybody wanted to keep them. McNeese is probably in the same spot now in the Southland where they will be, you know, the Southland doesn't want to lose McNeese more than anybody else. So it's certainly a unique way. I've never seen anything like that to give them all the, all the conference championship games and tournaments for all these different sports. Um, I don't know if it's really going to make an economic, economic impact like they, like they say it will, but um it's, it's, it's certainly an interesting way to, to create, you know, favored nation status. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm interested more on the logistics side of it just to see how it kind of shakes out because Lake Charles already has, like, the state championship for baseball, for softball, for basketball already. So there's only so many places where you can really play those games at. McNeese only has the one field, so you're kind, kind of tying yourself off there. There's no other colleges in the area that you could kind of offload some of that that uh, load to. So I'm just kind of interested in the logistics of when everything under the sun in, in Louisiana is going on, where does it all fit? I don't know. I'm not familiar with the geography as, as well as you are down at that place, so you'd probably have a better answer than me, but that's it's a fair point. I mean, if you have all that stuff going on, um, you got to have somewhere to play it. Dusty thinks that we all have this sort of intimate knowledge of Louisiana. I, 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 I guess he, I guess that's how Louisiana's think. It's it's the only state in the union. <laughs> well, it's, it's I think you all have a Napoleon a Napoleon complex out there. You, you just kind of no, that's Napoleonic uh, law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to tie that in. It didn't work out very well. Chris, I know you're a big. I don't want to say fan, but you're a big observer of the college football playoffs process. Uh, in fact, I believe that they get back onto their ESPN show pretty shortly, and everybody on Twitter is just going to be raging about what's happening next. One of the things I've noticed is that uh, the conference or the committee has pretty much largely ignored anybody from the Sun Belt. 
uh, specifically Louisiana. Is that a mistake on their part, or do you feel like they, they were making the right decision there? Louisiana's been such a tough team to grade. Like, yeah, they're 10-1, to 1 and they blew out App State. You know, that's pretty darn clear. But they've played so many one-score games that have come down to the last minute against teams that they are clearly better than. And that's kind of been a thing under Napier for the last couple of years is that, you know, they played Georgia State a lot closer than they probably should. You know, Georgia Southern, too, sometimes. You know, um, the ULM game a couple times has been come down to a field goal or something like that when they've been much more talented. So, you know, I, I think the committee sees that and, and dings them for it. Yeah. You know, I, always... I, I have them, I have them ranked, you know, in that 20 to 25 range, I think. Um, but I'm, I'm not surprised the committee's leaving them out. Yeah. You know, it, it seems like the AP and the, and the committee are way off this year in the, in the bottom half of the poll, which I know isn't that important in the whole scheme of things, considering, you know, once it gets to this time of year, it only seems like the top six or seven are really discussed. But it would be a big deal for the Sun Belt to 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 be back into that into that uh, limelight again. Do you think Napier or or Louisiana is it hasn't done? I guess it sounds to me like you agree. Like we discussed it a little bit earlier that uh, Louisiana, because of their sort of uh, layout, uh, sort of their casual attitude toward these opponents haven't done themselves a favor in, in terms of, of gaining the attention of, uh, of, of, of the committee. So what do you think Louisiana needs to do against ULM and then in the championship game to at least get that notice? Yeah. I mean, it's certainly possible, you know, by the time we're done recording here that, that they are in, it, it, they could be, um, but you, you got to blow out ULM. You got to take care of them like you're supposed to with, with your talent level. And then you got to beat App State the second time and win the, win, the, win the conference. The problem with that is, hey, if you beat App State twice and how good how, how good is App State? That's, you know, the committee, you know, does all sorts of gymnastics to try to devalue certain wins. It's, it's going to be the same thing with Houston at Cincinnati. Houston's a ranked team now. Yeah. But if, if Cincinnati beats them, they won't be ranked. So then it doesn't count as a ranked win. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean – Louisiana is not out of the out of the running for the New Year's Six spot. If Houston beats Cincinnati, Cincinnati has East Carolina this week. Could be a tough game. Maybe something goes wrong there. Um, but there's a lot of good top level G5 teams <coughs> that they're just kind of behind right now. So to speaking of Cincinnati, uh, and I know the show's coming on pretty soon, and by the time people listen to this, it'll all be moot. But is are they being justified in, in the caution that the committee is 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 working on with them? I know that uh, uh, you know I'm sure that people love to see Michigan leapfrog them. Uh, there's people talking about Notre Dame leapfrogging them. And if so, what does that say about the group of five in general in terms of if they ever have a shot at at competing in the top four? I mean, you you got to be more than perfect. Um, it's you know Cincinnati is kind of the same deal as Louisiana where you know yeah. they won some games that shouldn't have been so close like Tulane and Navy and USF and so if you give people a reason to be like eh, maybe maybe not then then they're going to take it you know what bugs know. me about that Chris yeah. you know what just drives me crazy about that is that it's just there's this assumption that if you're a good group of five team, you should just barrel through your conference, not understanding that conference games are just as tough as any other conference. 
whether it's American or or the Big Ten or the SEC, these are tough games for these these teams. And when you're playing, when you're a Tulane playing against Cincinnati, well, Tulane's going getting up for this game, and they're doing their very best to play this game, and they're not chicken feed. So I don't know what the what we have to do to make the uh, committee realize that. Uh, a hard-fought game against a conference foe is just as worthy as any other hard-fought game against a conference foe. Well, that was the thing with UCF. I mean, UCF didn't have the marquee non-conference win, but they had dominated everybody in their conference pretty much, and that wasn't enough. So, so it's kind of one or the other. You got to do both. You got to have a top ten road win, and you got to completely dominate your conference. I guess. Well, if Dusty doesn't have any more questions, Dusty, do you have any questions? I just can't get the word in. I. I know. I'm so excited about Chris here that I just keep talking. The, the the coaching carousel is spinning rapidly right now. Do any of the moves that have happened so far with Georgia Southern and Troy, are, are either one of those moves surprising to you so far? No, not surprising. I mean, I guess I'm maybe surprised that Georgia Southern made the hire so quickly, but that's that's the thing now. I mean, we've got everybody hiring coaches before the season's even over now, so that's kind of the new deal. Um, Troy, I'm not surprised. I mean, three straight non-winning seasons at a place that won 10 games each prior. You know, you can win at Troy, and and five and six isn't enough. So, not surprised at that. Um, I'm I'm not sure how Clay Helton will do at Georgia Southern. You know, doesn't seem like triple option is going to be the thing anymore. So, you better win doing it another way at that place if you're going to do that. So, um, yeah, not not surprised necessarily by either though. Do, do you feel that maybe Spavadol at Texas State's maybe the next to fall, or do you think that it'll be Napier and Chadwell leaving uh, Coastal and Louisiana Lafayette? Well, I mean, we got one game left in the season. I don't think Billy Napier is going to take a job on Sunday because he's got a conference championship game to play. So if Jake Spavadol is going to be fired, probably going to come on Sunday. That's when that's, you know, it's when the day after the regular season ends. So, um, between the two, if Spavadol is going to get fired, and we don't know yet, we don't yet know that for sure. There hasn't really been a kind of a, a lean either a read a read either way on the situation. That would probably come first. What so else you have, Jeremy? I have one last uh, one last question because it's something that you mentioned earlier, and Dusty seems to be on, on the same page on this. Uh, you've mentioned Chadwell on the move a couple times, just kind of almost in a way that oh, it's it's a given. Where do you think Chadwell might end up? He's going to have – him and Billy Napier are going to have a lot of options because James Franklin ain't leaving and Jimbo Fisher ain't leaving, which means a lot of guys – there's going to be a lot more trickle-down in that way. Chadwell seems like a perfect fit for a place like Virginia Tech. You know, he knows that region. He's got a fun offense. Um, and, and, you know, just it, it fits in a lot of ways. I don't know which way Virginia Tech's going to go. It depends on a, a few number of other things, but – um, you know, he, he didn't get the, wasn't really in the mix for Tennessee last year. Maybe he's not ready for an SEC type job out of coastal Carolina. Um, but Virginia Tech's a place with a lot of resources and, and, and stuff like that. And so if I had to pick a place, I think that feels like the biggest fit, but we got to see what else opens up because there's going to be more. Chris Fanini, we appreciate you have being on the show. Is there anything that you'd like to plug before we say our goodbyes? Oh, yeah. I, I got a story ran today on Tuesday. I spent last week uh, embedded with the SMU team as they prepared to play Cincinnati. So kind of got a good look at how they game planned and everything they prepared and wanted to do. And 
things they were concerned about. And then I was with them for the game in Cincinnati on Saturday when they got the doors blown off of them. <laughs> and, and every concern that they had, everything they were worried about going wrong went wrong. And the story kind of lays out how, you know, a coach will say, you know, another team just executed better than us. And it sounds like a cliche, but it really is true. And it really is what football comes down to. Coaches are smart people. There are not real secrets. It comes down to getting your guys to do what they need to do. And that's hard. And Cincinnati is one of the best at doing that. And I think uh, the story in that game kind of laid it out. So did you have any clue that, that did you have any clue that Sonny Dykes was going to uh, take that TCU job when you were embedded with the with the ponies? Well, I mean, ever since the job opened, he's been clearly the guy who's the best fit for that job. I mean, Sonny hasn't taken the job yet. You know, would I be surprised if he doesn't go? Yeah. You know, we didn't talk about that specifically, um, but you know, it's in the Dallas area. It's, it, it, it makes as much sense as any coaching change can possibly be really to just go across down to TCU. And the other thing I'll plug, uh, the athletic has a, uh, a $1 a month, black Friday deal going on this week. So if you, if you, have not subscribed to The Athletic yet. If you have considered it but weren't sure, now is the best time to get in. You can just go to any story, preferably mine, and just click on a story if you're not a subscriber, uh, and the link will just pop right up there for you. Damn it, Chris, because I subscribed after you were on the show last time to make sure I had all the insight of your writings for the season, and uh, I didn't get it for a dollar. Yeah, we're paying full price. What the hell? (laughs) Well, we appreciate you for that, and I'm not going to not say that there aren't ways to get discounts uh <laughs> like you can with any subscription service well chris we'll be name dropping you at the offices of the athletic fairly soon just so we get that <laughs> deep discount chris it was a pleasure having you on uh good luck tonight with whatever analysis that you end up coming up with uh, during the college football playoff show uh we thank you for your service yep thanks guys thank you all right so that was a great interview with Chris Vanini. We really enjoyed his insight and what he brought to the table. But now it's time for Brass Tax, Dusty Thibodeau. It's time to talk a little Sunbelt football. It's time to talk about what happened last week and what's going to happen next week. It's the last week of the season for regular season uh, Sunbelt football. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on the last game of the season. I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on the last game of the season before, but before we can even talk about that, we have to talk about next week and let's do it. I, you know, the first game I want to talk about Dusty. What's the game you want to talk about? LSU versus ULM. Tell me what happened. So looking at it, ULM covered, they covered the under. And if you look at the plays, ULM was in position to make it a closer game. Do they pull off the upset with a couple of additional players? Maybe. To me, one of the best plays was the fake they did on fourth and goal at the two. Mm -hmm. Tip of the cap to ULM great Doug Peterson. They ran the Philly special. (laughs) But they had a little overzealous receiver that like, oh, shit, it's working. (laughs) And he sailed the ball over Rhett Rod's head for an incomplete pass. But it was there for six. Um, I thought when ULM drove on the initial drive down, they should have kicked a field goal instead of going for it just to kind of break onto the scoreboard. Sure. That takes it from the 
14, 13 point uh, difference that the game wound up being to a 10 point. To me, don't get me wrong, 13 points is two scores is still way respectable for going up against SEC school. But I just felt like you got to take every point you can get, not knowing how many points you are going to get. The other big takeaway I had ULM had only scored one time at LSU, dating back to, I forget if it was 2004, 2005. They scored twice <laughs> on Saturday. Yes. And you know what? I watched the last, I guess I managed to watch the last quarter of the game. And what I saw was a spiritually defeated LSU. You could tell they were like, damn, this game was a lot harder than it needed to be. Uh, I, I thought ULM did a terrific job of holding their own and representing the Sun Belt. Because let's face it, the Warhawks aren't the elite Sun Belt team this year. And they came down or came over to, to uh, LSU and really played them a, a, a really good game. And I really appreciated uh, Coach uh, Terry Bowden calling that timeout with five seconds left. I thought that was like a, a, a little bit of a boss move. Well, you, you, I mean yeah. – He's one of the greats of the SEC. That's his house. If I'm not mistaken, that's his first loss he's ever suffered in Tiger Stadium. Wow. So, you know, I guess he wanted to savor every moment of that game uh, and, and, and just take it all in. One last note about that game. Our former guest, Boogie Knight, second TD reception of the season. With the Warhawks <laughs> yeah. on the board. I heard Boogie Knight's uh, name several times, even in that quarter. I think he's returning kicks, right? He is returning kicks, yeah. although he has not had many actual kick returns. He's fair caught just about everything. <laughs> so it, it, it still makes me wonder and, and kind of the jury's out on whether or not he is as elite of a kick returner as he has the potential of being at a receiver. He has an elite name, that's for sure. So he, he will never lose that. Even in his old age, he will always be Boogie Knight. So he'll always have that. The other so SEC matchup of, of the weekend – it was ugly. The Jags went to Neyland Stadium and got hammered 60 to 14. Jags one of 16 on third down. Now, did you were you a little surprised by that final outcome? That it was that wide, yes. Obviously, not that the Jags lost, because I mean, I, I it's a money game. They were going there to get beat up and 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 take some money back to Mobile. But I was surprised that there were times they looked helpless in that yeah. game and that it was just not a fair fight. You know, Tennessee and both Tennessee and South Alabama, both were five and five entering that game. So both teams had a, a, a sort of uh, extra motivation to win that game. And certainly Tennessee came out with, it seemed like something to prove. Uh, I've seen Tennessee come out flat before. Tennessee did not come out flat against South Alabama. And I don't know if it, part of it was too because they're not playing with it, with Bentley anymore. They've got the backup quarterback in there. But I really did expect more from South Alabama. And I, I'm, I'm a little surprised that the score was as, as lopsided as it was. The big surprise to me, and this is not a knock on the Cajuns of defense who beat Liberty 42-14, they had six turnovers. <laughs> that is that is like elite level defense that I don't think anybody's done that this season. That's a lot of turnovers. Yeah, I don't. I remember Georgia Southern had five 
on uh, Arkansas State one season. Arkansas State ended up winning that game, but I thought five was like a number that you couldn't even possibly have. So you're telling me there were six. Six turnovers forced by the Raging Cajuns. That's pretty incredible. I, yeah. I, I like that they, they kind of went in and dominated that game, though, because I, I feel like that the Liberty is still kind of the, the darling independent team that everyone thinks is, mm-hmm. is way up on the pedestal. And then with mm-hmm. them getting in Conference USA, it's a huge win for Sunbelt versus Conference USA there. I like that they went in there and dominated it. Um, they're rolling. And, and, you know, even Chris Vanini, when we had him on earlier, talked about it. I feel like the Cajuns kind of troll their opponents for the most part. Like <laughs> they do, they they do enough to win, and, and and it's never really in doubt of if they're going to win. But they, I picture them kind of in a run down the street with like a carrot behind them, you know, being chased by the donkey. Eventually, it's going to catch up to them, but they're always just fast enough to stay away from the donkey. See, to me, it's more like. Like uh, James Br- or James Brown, Jim Brown, the old uh, Cleveland running back, who when he would get tackled, he would slowly get up and sort of shuffle over back to the huddle, and then all of a sudden he put on that burst of speed. It's like he, Louisiana is always conserving their energy; <laughs> they don't want to expend too much energy on these guys. And I think the 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 line for louisiana liberty the vegas line was had liberty with four points so i was really surprised by that that people didn't understand just how good louisiana was they do now i will say this have we seen i I, i've seen this willis malik willis malik malik willis i've seen him play twice uh against ulm and then against louisiana and i don't see what the fuss is am i missing something about this guy Yes, because he is able to extend plays so that even when his receivers are not open downfield, he's able to juke, jive, everything else behind the line to get them open when the coverage does break down. Because even the most elite defensive backs are going to break down their coverage after a certain amount of time. Plus, he has enough speed that if there is just nothing open, that he can run it upfield. A great dual threat quarterback that I think any team in the Sun Belt would love to have. Uh, well, that might be true. I just haven't seen it yet. So I thought maybe maybe I'm just just missing something about him. But uh, I felt now he's got – I think this year Liberty is – was it two and – or one and two against the Sun Belt this year. So uh, hats off to Sun Belt for, for uh, besting Hugh Freeze. The other whooping of the weekend – App State put it on Troy, and I did not see that one coming. Not surprised that App State won, just that they won 45-7 to over Troy in Veterans Memorial Stadium. I mean, it locked up the, the trip to Lafayette for the Mountaineers to face Louisiana Lafayette again in the Sunbelt Conference title. Nate Noel, 100 yards, Chase Bryce, three touchdowns. Another day at the office, but I just did not expect it to be that wide of a margin. Yeah, but you know what? It was like another one of those wins, like uh, when Appalachian State played South Alabama. You know, both South Alabama and Troy, very good defenses, and it takes Appalachian State a while to crack that Da Vinci code. At halftime, it was 10-7 to with Appalachian State having that three-point lead, and then they just went medieval on them. 21 points in the third, 14 in the the fourth. 
allowing zero points to Troy after the, after the first quarter. So, yeah, it was a dominating performance by Appalachian State. But as usual, it seems like they take their time, uh, <laughs> kind of like in a way that Louisiana does, only in a, in a, in a, in a, in a different kind of way. It's almost like they toy with their opponents at the very beginning, trying to find that weakness, and then they explode. Speaking of explosion, Grayson yeah. McCall came back on the scene, five touchdowns, 319 in the shots, a 35-21 win over Texas State. The Boobcats are back. Vitt did have a passing touchdown, though, to Marcel Barbary. That was the lone passing touchdown, though, for Vitt. The other two were, were yeah. rushing touchdowns. Again, not surprised at the outcome of that game, just maybe that it was as truthfully not as wide as I would have thought that it was going to be. Well, Texas State, they scored two touchdowns in the second, and it looked like, oh, my God, Texas State is going to somehow find a way to beat Coastal Carolina, and Coastal Carolina is the paper tiger that some of us had said they really were. Uh, Grayson McCall came back. I think they named him, a uh, Sunbelt named him the Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, and, well, he had three, he had five touchdowns, so he deserves all of that. But, uh, uh, yeah, Texas State, they just don't have anything this year. You know, I was looking, I, I, I was doing a review of Arkansas State versus Texas State, putting it together, and just trying to figure out where Texas State was strong. I looked at Vitt. He started three games now since uh, McBride has kind of <laughs> been put on the shelf. And uh, I think he has two passing touchdowns in three games. Uh, he's not really lighting it up. He's not throwing many picks. So maybe that's what Spavadol likes about him. But uh, Texas State just, uh, for whatever reason, has not put it together this year. And you were talking, we talked a little bit to Chris Vanini uh, about the future of Spavadol. Uh, I, I don't know what the future of Spavadol is, if, if, if they give them another year to figure it out or what. But it, it looks like weird times in San Marcos, and they'll probably want to do a better job against Arkansas. It'll be kind of a statement game against Arkansas State next week. And everything I'd heard about Spavadol was that he did have one more year to kind of turn things around, knowing that you yeah. know this year was a lot of JUCOs that they are going and transfer portal guys, that they're going to actually kind of get that carryover year. So it, it kind of lays a good foundation for them for next year. I haven't looked at their schedule next year to know how realistic it is. You know, do they have a bunch of body bag games or are they playing kind of the the other G5s? But, yeah, I, I think next year is the year that the Bobcats have to uh, kind of crank it up. If not, they will be uh, the first ones on that coaching carousel. Yeah, I really thought this was that year. But I could I could have jumped the gun on that. Maybe he gets one more year. But I – I, you know, I don't root against anybody, but right now, Spavadol doesn't seem like the guy. Six sacks, four rushing touchdowns helped the Panthers <laughs> down the Red Wolves in the cat fight. Lincoln Pear, y'all's big NIL guy, the running back, 118 yards and uh, 118 yards receiving with one touchdown. He's a, he's a good little scat back. He, he, nothing really stands out about him, but he's a good back that I think a lot of teams would love to have on their side and, and you know, is there with the big play capabilities. Yeah, Lincoln Perry, he came on the scene last season. Uh, it was a bit of a surprise. He actually has a congenital heart defect. So that was kind of a, like a little sub story about him. Oh, my God, we got a running back that has, has, uh, has a damaged heart. 
but uh, quite frankly, he is our most effective running back. Uh, he can catch the ball, as you can see, with those 100 yards and a TD against Georgia State. Uh, but he's also been uh, our most effective ground guy, too. He's only getting about three yards per carry. Uh, I, I think there has been a couple stories that have come out about just how awful the Red Wolves rush game is. Uh, and uh, it's it's not pretty. I think we lead the nation in in a dubious category of negative yardage plays, and that has a lot to do with uh, the run game. But that game against Georgia State was interesting. Much like that ULM game against LSU, Arkansas State had every opportunity to win that game. Uh, uh, Lane Hatcher threw two picks at the goal line. Uh, we had instances where, you know, if a wide receiver had just made a play, we could have gotten, you know, into the end zone. So it, it, there was a lot of things that we looked at. We Arkansas, the defense actually played really well and actually scored one of the touchdowns <laughs> against Georgia State. Uh, so it, the defense, we, the, we're seeing a lot of improvements. The offense seems to be crumbling, but give it to Georgia State. Georgia State played a very solid game. Uh, you know, they, they did bring a lot of heat to Lane Hatcher, like you said, the six sacks, uh, but also uh, their own quarterback, um, oh, whose name only escapes me. Darren Granger. Yeah, Granger. He was sacked uh, several times himself, but he led that team to the win. It was a good win for Georgia State. Congratulations to Georgia State making it uh, bowl eligible. Hats off. Maybe Ben's still celebrating, and that's why he couldn't join <laughs> us tonight. Yes, he might be at Club Dub right now ordering another round of shots. Speaking of shots, the nationally ranked Brigham Young Cougars headed to Statesboro. Georgia Southern gave up over 500 yards of <laughs> offense. But the story of the game was the Georgia Southern students throwing burritos at the Cougars. And this is something that is oddly sunbelt. If you remember back when we had Boogie Knight on the show, yeah. way back when, I told the story about Jaron Johnson having an entire pizza thrown at him at Louisiana Lafayette. I remember. Why, why is the sunbelt throwing food at everyone? I don't know. Was it burrito day at the at, at in a Statesboro? I just hope it was a cheap crap one and not like you know the expensive Chipotle. Why are we arming students with burritos? I think we need some burrito control in Georgia because uh, that's just not a great look. Hey, listen though, Georgia Southern played a pretty good game for uh, you know for a time. I guess nationally ranked BYU. Now BYU ended up going getting ahead and, and and doing their thing. But Georgia Southern, you know, did their best. They 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 did what they could. They have one of the worst defenses in all of college football. Uh barely better than Arkansas State. So yeah, it's no surprise they gave up 500 yards, but they did put up some points. They didn't put any points up in the second half, but they did make a game of it in the first half. Hats off to 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 uh to Georgia Southern for, for, for not making this game so out of control. And also hats off to BYU. This is the second time BYU has come to a Sunbelt venue and, uh, you know, had to you know make that travel late in the season. So, uh, uh, you know, BYU is not one of those, those programs that turns their nose up late at the season and says, we're not coming to, to a Sunbelt school. They'll do it. So I feel good about that. 
Definitely. And especially one of the harder ones to get to there in Statesboro. I mean, there's just, there's no direct easy way to get there to Statesboro, not a knock on it. It is what it is. The only way to get to Statesboro is to grow a, a Burt Reynolds mustache and infiltrate an illegal moonshine operation. That's the only way to get it. So, I thought that's how you got to middle Tennessee. <laughs> well, there, there might be, there might be several schools that that's the only way to gain entry. It's Thanksgiving week, so that means that we get two days of Sunbelt Conference football with Friday, the Shants heading south to Lower Alabama, making the inaugural trip to Hancock-Whitney Stadium. Yes. I, I just I, – I don't know what to think of the Jags after that disappointment last week against Tennessee, and, and, and there's just no Bentley, but there's a McCall – I think the shots just roll all over this one. I do too. Even though South Alabama has every reason in the world to win this game, you know they they they're going to be at home. They need this victory to be Sun Belt eligible. I have a feeling uh, Womack will, will will find a way to get these guys ready. But I really you know, I haven't you know I, I know that there has been some doubts about Coastal Carolina. Are they really as good as the press clippings that they were receiving? I think Coastal Carolina is a good team. Not only that, I think they're they're a great team. I've seen them in action. I've seen how they play. I really do think you're right. I think Coastal Carolina kind of comes in, bullies South Alabama, destroys any chance of them getting a bowl game. Coastal Carolina gets that tenth win. Uh, they don't have a shot at being in the uh, Sun Belt tournament, but uh, or the Sun Belt championship. But they still have a little chip on their shoulder. I think they still want to show that they belong in that upper echelon. And there's one more thing that I think gives Coastal Carolina the edge, and that's Jamie uh, Chadwell. He's auditioning right now for some pretty big gigs. I remember in 2012. Uh, the last game of the season, uh, Ar Arkansas State played MTSU, Middle Tennessee, and and uh, Hugh, or at the time Gus Malzahn was the coach at Arkansas State, and he threw the kitchen sink at Middle Tennessee. And at one point, I was like, "Why? Why? <laughs> why is the quarterback still out there? Why? Why are we doing this to Middle Tennessee?" It was something like forty-nine to zero at one point. And it turned out the next a couple of days, he took a job at Auburn. So I, I could see that it was probably Gus Malzahn saying, look, this is what I'm, I, what, this is what I can do for Auburn. I can see Jamie Chadwell using this as an audition tape for when he makes the rounds. Old SoCon matchup there. Georgia Southern goes to Appalachian State. Zero percent chance that Georgia Southern wins this game. App State uses it as a tune-up before the Sunbelt Conference Championship game next week. No questions. Is there a negative percentage that we can put on this? Uh, I don't want to be the negative person, Jeremy. <laughs> I was looking, you know, I, I, we've seen, though, hey, we've seen Georgia Southern upset premium teams before at the end of the season. <clears throat> And we've certainly seen Appalachian State sort of lose, uh, 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 lose track of the ball at the end of the season. That being said, I don't. I, I feel like at this year's Appalachian State team is one of the most professional teams 
uh, that I've seen in a long time in the Sun Belt. I don't see any chance for Georgia Southern getting their ducks in a row and finding. I I feel like the the game against BYU was their last game. I I don't see them coming uh, bringing it to Boone, even though it's a home game. It's a home game for uh, Georgia Southern. No, no, I'm sorry, my bad. It is in Boone. It's in Boone. My bad. It's a home game for Appalachian State, which makes it even worse for Georgia Southern. Uh, yes, I agree 100%. There's no chance Georgia Southern wins this game. Troy will travel up I-85 to Atlanta to face the Panthers. I think Georgia State's going to take this one as well. I think Troy is just done and in flux, having let Chip Lindsey go as their head coach. I think that the, the way they worded it, they, there's a change of leadership of football but it doesn't matter. Georgia State's going to win this one, and we're going to hear the air horn and a happy bin if he ever returns. <laughs> All right, but let's think of this. What, what's in it for Georgia State to win this game? You know, they, they already got their bowl eligibility. Uh, I think you're playing for improved bowl eligibility and, mm. and not a knock on any of the tie-ins, but I think that you would rather go maybe to New Orleans as opposed to Coastal Carolina where you have the indoor game and, you know, it's more fan-friendly than maybe a cold trip to the beach in Myrtle Beach or a rainy uh, Cure Bowl or uh, Boca Raton Bowl. So I think you're just trying to improve where you go and, and not necessarily to go somewhere because it's, it's almost the gimme that you're going somewhere. You know, absolutely. Seven and five sounds so much better than six and six. I mean, it sounds like light years ahead, but Troy, but Troy does have incentive to play well in this game. Yes, they got embarrassed by Appalachian State. Yes, their head coach has been fired. And uh, I know from experience this year, when a head coach gets fired, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to come out uh, dejected and disheveled. Uh, Arkansas State went into uh, Georgia Southern this year. Uh, the the week that they fired their head coach and we're thinking okay these guys are going to be disorganized they're going to be uh you know a little bit uh down and they weren't they were fired up so who knows perhaps troy comes into this game as fired up as they've been all year end up getting that bowl eligibility getting six and six and, and showing that hey it wasn't us that was the problem chip Lindsay was the problem so you know what I'm picking Troy. I have convinced myself. I think Troy wins this game. Your rival Bobcats <laughs> are headed to Jonesboro. Those sons of bitches. <laughs> if McBride went, if McBride plays, yeah. I'm going Bobcats. Ooh. If not, Lane Hatcher has a day. I know it's offense versus offense, but I'm sticking with my boy McBride. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that it's offense versus, you say it's offense versus offense, but Arkansas State only has a reputation for offense. Their offense has been terrible for about five weeks now. And it's really kind of hard to figure it out, except for the fact that the offensive line is just not very good. Not good at all. Maybe historically bad. But with Texas State, it's, it's confusing to me why McBride is sitting. Vitt has been given yeah, – McBride got hurt, but McBride isn't hurt anymore. Vitt's just getting the shot. So after last week's game, I think Vitt threw a hunt for 100 yards and one touchdown pass. 
I don't know if they just kind of made him a game manager, but he's not winning games with his arm. Uh, so I, I don't know if that's just part of the game plan or what. I wouldn't be surprised if McBride comes up for this game, Dusty. I, I feel like maybe this is when uh, he comes back and takes charge. But uh, I, neither team has a whole lot of incentive to win this game. No, it's I, ugly. Oh, it, it's ugly on paper. It's going to be ugly there in person. I do know this that at Arkansas State, there is talk of a lot of, of it's almost like auditioning. It, it's sort of, uh, this is it. This is the last game. Do you want to be a part of this program or not? Uh, we've already seen about four or five guys uh, quietly enter the uh, transfer portal. And you can tell that there is this, this, there's this, some people that are going to be Butch Jones guys and some people are, aren't. And I think this will be a litmus test for a lot of guys coming out. Uh, uh, we're going to see a lot of uh, new faces on the on the on the gridiron. We're going to see some different things. I think Arkansas State does win this game. I think they win this game at home. I don't think the Texas Bobcats have much to offer in terms of offense or defense. Uh, I, I, I'm going to go with Arkansas State. I'm sorry, Dusty. You can't tell me otherwise. Arkansas State wins. it's going to be ugly regardless. So (laughs) either way, next week we will go, we will talk about this game going, good God, did you see how they won this game? (laughs) That's right. Or it could be the greatest game we've ever seen played. First one to a hundred (laughs) wins. I hope that would be nice. I would love to see some offense. That would be great. Speaking of which last year, the Cajuns hung 70 on ULM in Malone Stadium and the campus of ULM. This year, ULM heads to Cajun Field and Lafayette. I like ULM and what I saw at LSU and the hopes that the Raging Cajuns are looking ahead to that conference championship. <laughs> the Cajuns really have nothing to play for in this game, in all honesty, beyond the pride and Napier's perfect Sunbelt Conference record. Hmm. But you know what? Okay. With his name being thrown around mm-hmm. as a coach at so many places, mm-hmm. the one negative that I have heard is he has not won a Sunbelt Conference title. Mm. Does he, for lack of a better term, look beyond ULM uh-huh. to focus on finally getting a Sunbelt Conference title? See, I kind of look at it another way. Uh, kind of the same way I'm looking at that Coastal Carolina game. Napier, too, is, is building his resume. Uh, we talked to uh, Chris Vanini a little bit about Louisiana, how they, they, they don't seem to you know, club their opponents in a way that's impressive to the college football playoff committee. I, I think they're playing for a couple reasons. One, they want to gain the notice of that committee. I, I, I think that's important to them. I think it's important to Napier. I think Napier just wants to show that he belongs in that group. Two, you're right. The, the, the Cajuns haven't won a Sunbelt Conference title in a while. Definitely not under Napier. I, I feel like Napier is as focused as he's ever been. Uh, the last two games, uh, Louisiana has actually, you know, start putting on some points, uh, start putting on a show, trying to get that, uh, trying to raise those eyebrows. Lastly, they're playing against ULM, and they don't like ULM. You know, I don't think the players need much motivation when those two get on the field. 
Uh, that being said, I also on the other side with ULM, you know, you had that big game against uh, LSU. And I can't imagine after that game how tired and exhausted and physically beat up you must be. So now you get Louisiana, who is almost just as physical. I don't know. That seems like a tough sled. I think Louisiana wins this game. I think they win it, win it pretty handedly, even though I am rooting for ULM because I think ULM is one of the most entertaining programs in the Sun Belt right now. So you don't think the Cajuns kind of troll along the Warhawks in this game? I really don't. I, you know, normally I would say yes, but I feel like that there is so much spotlight on Napier right now that he's probably spending an extra two hours every night thinking of, of, uh, of, of schemes and scoring plays and ways to get Chris Smith into the end zone and Levi Lewis to throw more, more touchdowns. I really think that they use this as sort of a uh, sort of bow on top of the season. Well, I will be there to cover it for the Fun Belt Cup podcast as well as Warhawk Report. So we yes. will have all of the analysis of that game. I want analysis. I want color commentary. I want behind the scenes information. I want sideline reports. I want it all. Uh, depends on the weather. Because <laughs> if it's cold and rainy, like there's always the potential of it being for that uh-huh. battle of the Bayou game. Yeah. This, this kid is not leaving the the penthouse in the sky of the press box. <laughs> I tell you what, ever since I've been covering games from the press box, it's been very hard to drag me down into the elements. So, uh, yeah, we have gotten soft, Dusty. This this life we live has made us soft. That is very true. <laughs> so this week, South Alabama will find out their fate of the NCAA tournament for volleyball. Oh, okay. So we have that going on. I want to say the selection show is coming up on Thursday, and they will play sometime next week. Basketball, hardwood. We have future members battling it out with Marshall beating Louisiana Lafayette 26-21 at almost the half. Appalachian State beat Akron today. Hey! And later tonight, Jeremy, we, Cliff Ellis never sent the plane. Valpo is, is, is playing coastal down in the Bahamas at 7 o'clock. I did see they had some issues where I guess a air conditioner or something like that had gone out. There was water yes. all over the floor, so it was delayed. Only in the Bahamas. <laughs> I was like, good God. I guess I, I guess that happens. <laughs> I guess it happens. But what a time for it to happen, right? When you're hosting a tournament. It seems like uh you would have, you know, people at the ready to make sure that this court stays dry. But I guess that just wasn't foreseen. But uh yeah, you know what? I I, I saw too that um Somebody beat FIU, and I can't remember, suddenly can't remember who it was. FAU got beat by Troy. Yeah, yeah, Troy beat FAU, which was a nice score peer conference win for Troy, who isn't really expected to do much in the Sun Belt this year. So it was nice for Troy to pick up that win for the Sun Belt. Uh, yeah, it seems like the Sun Belt basketball is, is beginning to roll. I'd love to see what Cliff Ellis does in this tournament if they ever dry out that court. Uh, and we'll see if uh, we can see, get some bigger wins. I know that uh, some some big teams are coming up on the horizon. Hopefully, we'll get Ben Moore back on here, our basketball guru, and he can tell us what's happening. Yeah, and 
while we're on that note of talking about future episodes, don't forget that on December 5th, we will move to Sunday nights, Jeremy. Because we're going full basketball. Full basketball, recapping freshly that Sunday night, the Sunbelt Conference Championship game. Uh Uh-huh. And it's going to be epic. We will also come to understand who is the Sunbelt Sheriff of the league when Hal Razor names its first ever Sunbelt Sheriff Award winner. It was, is that after the conference championship game? Right before the conference championship game, it will be announced. So, you know, we're still tabulating numbers. We fired up the supercomputer. We shoveled in some coal into it so it works extra hard. And uh, we'll see what name it spits out. Uh, I am not eligible for that, by the way, Jeremy. You're not eligible? No, no, none of us are. But uh, we'll, we'll see who it is. And remember, it's not for the team that necessarily wins the Sun Belt. It's for the team that showed us exactly what a Sun Belt program should be. So we'll see who that is. Parting shots, promos and plugs. Jeremy, what you got? Hal Razor is diligently working on a Texas State versus Arkansas State preview. It should come out tomorrow. I hope you guys read that. Uh, we will also be talking a little bit about Arkansas State basketball. Uh, they've got only one loss on the season. They seem to be rolling. So fingers crossed that Arkansas State gives us a little bit of relief on the hard court. Warhawk Report, we're covering recruiting, getting ready for the December signing period, as well as wrapping up the football season. On the horizon, some interviews there with head coach Terry Bowden, kind of recapping how his first year went, as well as trying to get caught up with head basketball coach Keith Richard to preview the Sunbelt Conference portion of the schedule coming up in late December. But as always, Funbelt PC on the Twitter, DM us, drop us an email at funbeltpc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and love to have some show ideas from you to make sure that we're uh, keeping the show interesting and fresh. We have a lot of ideas. Sometimes it takes a little time to get them up and going, but you yeah. know, we have a lot of things in the oven cooking right now. We definitely do. And special thanks to Chris Benini for coming on the show. And uh, I guess we'll just close it down now. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.